You have reached the Geek Elite. Good luck. In a world where knowledge is king, two men will strive to... (coughs) Oh, sorry about that. We're 100 Things We Learned From Film, the podcast that takes a different subject movie each week and tries to learn 100 things. Hence the funny title. I'm Mark. And I'm John. And my favourite thing I've learned so far is that chickens have pea crystals. Which yours? <laughs> Quite. Do you know the mosquito in the original Jurassic Park is the only type of mosquito that doesn't actually suck blood? So in this case, no blood, no dinosaurs, no film. So that's us, 100 Things We've Learned From Film. Check us out wherever you get your podcasts every Monday. I know what you're thinking. Did he fire six shots or only five? Well, to tell you the truth in all this excitement, I kind of lost track myself. But being this is a 44 Magnum, the most powerful handgun in the world, and would blow your head clean off, you've got to ask yourself one question. Do I feel lucky? Well, do you, punk? After taking a long Three months for the summer, and man, the summer is not over. It is so hot here, Richard. Uh, <laughs> we are we are getting back into it, and man, did we pick a we picked a movie. We sure did pick a movie to come back on. Uh, yeah, uh, we we did we did pick an interesting film to uh, to return with. <sighs> Uh, I mean, I'm, I, I would definitely say that I am excited about this, about talking about this movie. Uh, I don't know how exactly I feel about this movie. Uh, I mean, if you've already seen the, the, um, thumbnail for this podcast, you know that we're going to talk about the green Knight in tonight's episode. Uh, I don't know. Like, I really don't know if I like it or not, but I know that it was shot and looks really good. Yeah. I, I mean, visually, uh, I, you know, I'm sure we'll dive into it a bit more, obviously, but uh, visually it's beautiful and the performances are incredible. So uh, if you're ready for this, we'll be talking about the green Knight. I want, but before, sorry, before that, we're going to talk a little bit about some uh, entertainment news and then also uh, what we've been watching while we've been gone. So uh, AMC has came across and struck a deal with Warner Brothers, who famously this year, 2021, released all their movies that were going to be in theaters on HBO Max, like day and date for 30 days. We even we even reviewed a couple of them, like uh, was it Judas and the Black Messiah, mm-hmm. uh, Mortal Kombat, like those ones all got released day and date. Um, but they're gonna do a forty five day theatrical window, uh, which I believe like Paramount does with uh, their movies with Paramount Plus also. Okay. So how do you feel about the 45 days? Because it used to be like 90 days, didn't it? I, yeah, I feel like it used to be a little bit longer. I mean, again, I, I don't... 
if, as long as they don't do what Disney allegedly has done, um, which is, you know, screwing people out of money that they've been promised due to contracts and stuff like do they go back and renegotiate that so that those movies can come to streaming platforms sooner. And they're, they're still willing to kind of compensate those people for their labor. Like I, I don't really have any issue with it. I don't think it's a big deal. Um, obviously it's, you know, it is going to probably have an impact on, on the theater industry, which is incredibly unfortunate um, as is, you know, I don't know whatever's going to happen because the numbers are obviously starting to go back up again in terms of, of, you know, COVID cases. So I'm sure that's going to start scaring people probably away from going back to the theater as much as they were over the past few months, potentially. I mean, maybe it won't, but, uh, but yeah, I'm sure they're looking at those numbers and I'm, I'm sure they're probably kind of in, uh, you know, um, kind of expecting that to be the the trend as well so i would imagine that's probably why they're trying to close that that release window exclusivity thing down a little bit you know yeah no i think uh i think it's definitely what you're speaking about earlier was the uh ongoing disney scarlett johansson lawsuit i assume um it obviously seems like it was a very terrible thing that Disney did not go back to the table and renegotiate that contract. Uh, like, like Scarlett Johansson's people had asked to do, um, before they released black widow on premium access Disney plus, uh, when a lot of your contracts deal with box office, you know, uh, percentages on the back end, uh, that yeah, you're you're taking a lot of money out of people's hands that uh, put that into their contract. So it it's it's a big deal, and I, I think Disney definitely did not handle this correctly, especially in the court of public opinion. Yeah, I mean, granted, you know, we don't necessarily have all the information. Uh, about it but you know based on the things that have been alleged if those turn out to be true then yeah disney needs to pay her and her team and everyone else they screwed over i mean that's just not acceptable and it's so funny to me because a lot of the stuff i saw online was you know people being like oh well the movie you know didn't need to exist or the movie was 10 years too late or uh she's just being greedy and i'm like you do realize that you're defending a multi billion or maybe even trillion dollar conglomerate uh that's screwing someone out of money that they were promised for their labor like this isn't you know this isn't scarlett johansson taking money out of out of your pocket or or telling you that you're a piece of crap because you didn't go watch the movie you know what i mean and then on top of that no movie needs to exist and yes disney should have done something with this character a long time ago but they didn't but that's still no excuse for them to do the things uh if they you know did the things that were alleged i guess i should say um that's not okay that's that's not okay for anyone to do that it's not okay for any person to be screwed out of money or compensation that they were promised for their labor period i don't care who they are i don't care how much money they have that's not okay no it's not you're absolutely correct here yeah yeah does that does not make any sense whatsoever um, but that's the, we're going there. At least Warner brothers is going to be going to a 45 day window. And that's, I, you know, 
I think that for people that aren't willing to go back to the movie theater or not, not, not willing, I don't want to say that, um, don't feel it's safe. Or, you know, if you just prefer to stay home, which is completely cool, a 45 day window is not too bad. Yeah, I, I think, I think 45 days, uh, is completely reasonable. Um, you know, I don't know. I mean, it's still just, it's tough and it's really, I think, unfortunate for the, the theater industry, but you know, I mean, I don't, they have to get the movies out there somehow. So, I mean, like I do see that side of it as well, but, um, you know, they definitely need to be doing things the proper way and, and buttoning up people's contracts or renegotiating them. Like, you know, um, but that's, it's tough. It's a tough situation for everyone to be in, you know? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Uh, and then AMC, uh, AMC entertainment chairman, CEO, Adam Aaron also said that, uh, the chain, the AMC chain theater chain will be technology, technologically equipped to start accepting Bitcoin payments for us movie tickets and concessions ordered online by the end of the year. Uh, and they'll also start accepting Apple pay and Google pay. Now, I am not a cryptocurrency person. I don't know really anything about it. Um, do you, are, are you versed in the cryptocurrency? Richard? Uh, very, very. I mean, I know very little. Uh, I don't, you know, I don't invest in it. I don't know any of it. I, I have a very primitive uh, understanding of how it all works. So uh, how do you feel about them accepting cryptocurrency as a form of payment for movie tickets and concessions. Um, I mean, I don't, I don't think there's anything wrong with it at all. I mean, obviously there's a lot of people, you know, it, it kind of feels like there's two camps of people that want kind of this like decentralized, you know, money. And then, you know, there's people that, that don't really get involved in that, that would go kind of based more on like centralized uh, money situation. You know what I mean? Like, which is what we currently have with like the U S dollar and things like that. Um, but yeah, I, I really don't see an issue with it. I, I mean, I think it's obviously within um, most vendors, you know, benefit to accept more multiple forms of format uh, or of, of payment formats that they can. Like, I think that just makes um, their business a lot more accessible to a lot of different people. And I mean, the trend is, is, you know, there's still a lot of people that are kind of moving away from standard currency in some capacities and, and more towards cryptocurrencies. Um, so I, I don't, I definitely don't think there's anything wrong with it. I think it's kind of, uh, I think it's interesting that, uh, you know, we're kind of seeing, uh, at least here in the States, I should say, you know, a, a movie theater being kind of, or a movie theater chain being kind of one of the first or some of the first, you know, major realtors and, and chains like that to kind of accept this as a, as a form of payment. I, I mean, I know that I'm just really stuck in a in an old time thinking like mind frame, I guess, and I just and it's just because I really don't understand it. Um, but what I think I understand of cryptocurrency, like, just makes me think like it's it. There's nothing there, so it's it's hard for me to sit there and and believe it's okay to to use it. But like, obviously people are using it. There's money in it and there's, it's, it's being used for large transactions. Um, I just, it, it just sounds so flimsy to me. But then again, like 
our, our current currency is very flimsy. So <laughs> it, it just, well, I have really absolutely nothing to to be scared of, I guess. Well, I mean, it, it's it's the unknown. I mean, there's a natural humanistic instinct, I think, to be kind of on the fence or, or a little bit more intimidated or fearful of things that we don't quite fully understand. And I mean, I think you're absolutely right. I mean, you know, our monetary system that we have now is obviously not any more real than than cryptocurrency is. I think we'd all like to believe that it is. But um, in the actuality of it, the only reason that anything has any value to it is because we as a collective group of people determines or decides that it does. So I don't really think Bitcoin or, or cryptocurrency um, in general is, is, you know, really any less illusionary or, or uh, any less of an illusion, if you will, than than our regular monetary systems that are already in place. And, you know, it's pretty wild because I think it was, I think it was El Salvador that um, actually has, has now accepted this as their official currency of their, their country. Um, so they've become, I believe the very first country to, de- to declare that like Bitcoin is their legal tendered currency for their, their whole country now. So it's kind of interesting from that standpoint too. That's, that's pretty, that's pretty incredible. Uh, yeah. And the more people use it, the more legitimacy it gets, like just having it be part of the movie going experience only makes it more legitimate. So yeah, more power to it. So those are the the stories that I wanted to come talk to you with, but like three months, we hadn't talked about any movies or TV shows. You know, like, uh, I feel like I've, I've watched quite a bit. Um, I saw the new suicide squad. I don't know if you did. Uh, I saw the black no, widow, no saw jungle, jungle cruise. Um, I even saw something. Oh, we saw the new Fast and the Furious movie. Now, Richard, you and I have a long history with these Fast and the Furious movies. And to my understanding, you have yet to go watch Fast 9. Uh, yeah, I haven't seen it yet. Um, I, I, it's And it's not that I uh, won't watch it. I just I haven't had a chance to see it yet. You're lucky. You're lucky that you don't live near me anymore. I would like handcuff you to me to make sure you go and watch these movies. <laughs> did you, uh, did you enjoy it? I did. I did. I, I really did. Um, I mean, how much of the movie do you know about? Uh, a fast nine. Yeah. Just from the trailers I and mean, maybe what other I... people have told you. I feel like all of it. Uh, I mean, is it really? I mean, is it really that different than the other eight movies before it? No, not really. Uh, obviously, the big theme in the Fast and Furious movies is is family, right? So, yep. Uh, we we get to meet a new member of the Toretto family that you didn't know about, Jacob, played by John Cena. Uh, Which, I mean, that doesn't even seem fair to the audience. I mean, some... can anyone even see him? Oh, like is no, he actually you can't. in the movie, or just... did they just put his name on it? It's a, it's theater of the mind. <laughs> you just <laughs> have to you just have to imagine John Cena in the role. Um, no, but you have to like. I think it's probably one of the worst 
or I guess one of the biggest miscasts ever mm. uh, putting John Cena in this movie. Just because, like, I don't know if, like, if I don't know how much, how many John Cena movies you've watched in your your movie history, but like, he's better as a comedic actor. He has really good comedic timing. He has a, a good presence to entertain. Putting him in this stoic, wooden, mean guy villain role just was like. Uh, yeah, it's not working for me. I I think I've seen, oh my gosh, I think I've seen two movies that he was in. Um, oh, what was it? The Marine or something like that? I, I think was the him. Marine. Yeah. Yeah. And then there was like a comedy that he did. Um, was uh, it blockers? Was it? The one where he's a parent blockers. Yes. Yeah. But he's not really a villain in either one of those. Like I, I have a really hard time buying him as a villain. And I think that was a big part of it too. Yeah. And so I would say that was probably the my biggest flaw with the movie. And I mean, obviously that's a big flaw because he's a big part of this of the story this time around. The other part of the movie is just like they use this uh plot point plot device of magnets way too much in the movie like it's used so much to get them out of so many different um uh scenarios throughout the movie which i was fine with them just using car to get out of uh, all the scenarios and all the other movies but like using these magnets this time around just like okay i'm good with the magnets already let's let's move on to the next thing let's see what you can do with the car next thing and then of course as everybody predicted we went into space. Uh, yeah, imagine that. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. I did hear. I did hear someone's uh, theory earlier today. I think I think it was earlier today where they was like at the end of Fast and the Furious Eleven because I don't know if you heard that they're filming ten and eleven back to back, and that oh. they're going to end the series with eleven instead of it with ten. But at the end of eleven, oh. they should have Vin Diesel's character Dom like go into space and get lost like he, he he gets separated from everybody else and he's he's stuck out there and then like the end credit scene is him in a alien prison as he's getting <laughs> surgery done on him and he opens up his eyes and he has the shine job and that and thus it's the beginning of pitch black i i could just imagine that if they reshot part of that scene with him floating away in the car and be like they say that when you go into cryo the primal part of your brain stays awake i guess that's why i'm still awake like oh my gosh dude. <laughs> i would i would just be dying it would be hilarious <laughs> oh man um but yeah, like I, I've generally had a good time at a lot of the movies that I've gone to see uh, since COVID numbers went down. Unfortunately, they're going back up. Um, Black Widow was a lot of fun. Jungle Cruise, not for me, but like, sure, I get it. I get why a lot of people liked it. I thought there was some issues with uh, chemistry between the two leads. But yeah, other than that, I just... I've been I've been enjoying going to the movies. Uh, now I understand you didn't go to the movies and you didn't watch any particular movies, but have you been watching anything? 
Um, I haven't done much. I, I, again, it, it, oh, that's why we haven't been recording is because I haven't had much free time. Um, but I did actually get to sit down and watch um, the. I kind of binged it, which was actually nice because I haven't done that in a while. But uh, kind of binged the first season of uh, Ted Lasso, which is, I believe, an Apple uh, original or an Apple exclusive. Yeah, Apple TV Plus original, I believe, is what they're going with. Yeah, H- have you watched it at all? I did. I I watched the first season and pretty much bawled my eyes out at so many different parts of that first season. Uh, the second season is is definitely a different direction, uh, but uh, I'm enjoying it. What what did how were, what were your reactions to the first season? Well, it really, I guess it caught me off guard a little bit because I I really didn't know anything about it. Uh, I just knew that uh, Jason Sudeikis was in it and uh, it was getting um, some pretty good, you know, criticism or feedback or whatever you want to call it. And uh, I was like, well, you know, I like like him. I I like a lot of stuff he does. His humor is usually pretty good. Um, So I said I watched it and uh, it. It's kind of, I guess, a little difficult for me to explain because it's not—it's not necessarily like a—it's um, not like necessarily like a bright comedy uh, in the sense because there's a lot of really horrible stuff that happens to the characters, uh, but it—it—it it, it never seems to leave you without this overwhelming sense of positivity and hope, uh, I, which again I think is is pretty remarkable for the circumstances that a lot of these characters are put into these they're they're pretty awful uh things for people to have to go through so i I found that to be quite interesting that they they were able to balance that that way yeah ted the the character of ted lasso is just so upbeat and and charismatic that it's it's it does make that show seem like a very positive show right Mm -hmm. no yeah definitely i mean it it it, like i said it really does kind of cast them into these uh kind of unfortunate situations but uh for the most part uh there's just like i said there's this overwhelming sense of positivity to it that you can't help but kind of like keep cheering for all of them and, and wanting them to you know pull through it and and you know have better days ahead of them so to speak you know um, to think that this all this this all came from a uh, what was it a commercial an NBC Sports commercial where Jason Sudeikis was playing a college football coach like that's and then they just turned it into a TV show like that's impressive. I, I did yeah that is crazy I had no idea that that's kind of what inspired that. Yeah yeah. Um, yeah, some of the other, like before we went away, uh, we were going to do woman in the window and those who, those who shall, those who want us dead. I think that's what it was Mm -hmm. called. And I don't know if you got a chance to watch either one of those, but, uh, the woman in the window, uh, kind of a retelling of, uh, rear window. Uh, with Amy Adams, that was actually a really good movie. I, I really enjoyed that. It's a it's a lot of uh, it's a real psychological thinker. 
um, and having to deal with grief and how it affects people in different ways. And it was real good. I, I really enjoyed that one. Did you no, get a chance I, to watch I didn't it? Get a chance. I didn't. It's still on my list. And, and I, I really do want to give it a shot and check it out because I remember when we were kind of having that conversation, like, Hey, do you want to watch this one or this one? Um, and I just remember watching the trailer for it. And, and uh, I feel like the trailer is, is really well done at, at drawing you in because I still can kind of vividly see some of the images from the, the trailer. And so I do really need to watch that. It looks really, um, like you said, it looks very kind of, I guess, uh, different and, and perhaps even in some ways uh, a little bit challenging, I guess, to kind of make you really, you know, dive in and pay attention to what's happening. But it looks it looks like it's got a very unique and interesting concept. So I, I definitely do want to check it out. Really, really makes me think, why is it that, I mean, not that it's a bad thing, but why is it that people keep going back to the well that is rear window? Like what was the thing about that story that, that is it just like the idea of everybody looks out their window and thinks what thinks things about their neighbors, like what's going on in the neighbor's house. I mean, yeah, I, I could, I could totally see that argument. And I mean, I think we all have that in a, in another capacity now through social media as well. And I mean, there's just something innately voyeuristic about us as, as a species, right? I mean, it's the same thing when you, you know, see a car accident or something like people just can't help, but be drawn to kind of, you know, rubbernecking or investigating what's going on in those situations. So I think it's just, yeah, that was a deal with Hitchcock. He was just a master of kind of like, you know, human psychology and how to manipulate audiences. And I think, you know, when you, whenever you can have a, a subject matter that that deals with something like that, I, I just kind of naturally works very well to, uh, to reach people, you know, on a humanistic level. So I, I feel like maybe that's why it, it, we kind of keep going back to that. I think so. I think so. Uh, and then those who wish me dead, the Angelina Jolie, uh, fire or like forest fire thriller. Um, it has so many things going on in that movie that it just, I don't know, something, some things just didn't land with me. Like I get it. I get, I get what they were, they were doing and it, it felt, it felt very video game ish, but it just also was just a plain, action movie there was nothing nothing to stand out about it which like it seems like it's been forever since i seen angelina julie in a movie and for this one to be the one that got her to come back i don't know i don't know have you seen her in anything lately no i I was gonna say i completely agree with you it's been um i don't know it feels like years since i i saw her like actually starring in something yeah, I think the last thing I would have saw was like Maleficent or Maleficent sequel, you know. So that was 2019 and this is 2021. Um obviously we have Eternals coming out, so I don't know if there was a if that was taking up a lot of her time too, but yeah, it seems like it's been a while since I'd seen her in something. Um so if you if you're a fan, I mean there's a lot of other great people in the movie. There's uh Aiden Gillen is how you say his last name. Uh, yeah, Aiden Gillen, uh, Nicholas Holt, John Bernthal, Jack Weber, uh, Tori Kittles. There was just, there was a lot of people in that movie. So 
but it's hmm. it's just a very standard action flick action flick okay so you don't recommend that one as, as uh, much as, as uh, the other one that i take it right yeah woman in the window i thought was it it kept my interest a lot more i'll get up but i'll put it that way okay all right but let's get into talking about the green knight what did you know about this movie going beforehand? Because I feel like this is one of those movies that is hurt by the trailer uh, because the trailer makes you feel like you're going to get one type of movie and you're definitely not getting that movie in this movie when you go to the, you go to see it. Uh, you know, I, I could see that. Um, I, I really didn't know too much about it. I mean, obviously uh, now, um, having watched it, I know it's kind of about some of the, um, what would you call it? Arthurian, uh, stories or Arthurian history. Um, like King Arthur. Yeah, I don't a, even know it, if I'm saying that. Yeah. Right, it's but. very Arthurian legend that most people. Yeah. And, and this is based off of a poem, uh, from Arthurian legend that is about Sir Gawain. Y- yeah. Um, so I, d- I didn't really realize any of that going into this i i basically really got kind of interested in seeing it because it was um a24 uh and it was david lowry which uh, he did a ghost story um which i really really enjoyed and so really i, I, I yeah. don't want to pass that up you really enjoyed a ghost story i did not care for that movie yeah, I could totally see that. And 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 the and the reason that I say that is I have a suspicion that most people probably are not going to like a ghost story to be honest with you. Um <laughs> as I think that would be the case with um this film as well. I I have a strong suspicion that a large portion of people that go to watch this movie are, are, are not going to enjoy it because uh, similarly a ghost story is not very commercially put together in terms of the sense of a film. Uh, It's a lot more, I guess, uh, artistic in in some ways or, or experimental in others, however you want to kind of, um, you know, dissimilate that. But, uh, but yeah, so I, I really did like that. I didn't see Pete's Dragon, which... Um, I saw that, and I thought it was great. Yeah, so that was also David Lowry, and he also did The Old Man and the Gun, and Ain't Them Body Saints. And I saw uh, I mean, that. Like, mm-hmm. I saw I saw The Old Man and the Gun, and, I, and I'm about 50-50 on it. Like, there was stuff in there that I liked, and there was stuff in there I was like, oh, you, you probably could have got rid of some of that. Uh, well, uh, we'll hang on to that. Cause I, I would imagine that's probably going to be part of your assessment of this movie too. If I had to guess, I think you're pretty correct. <laughs> okay. Yeah. So yeah, so that was, you know, that was really kind of all I, I knew about it. I mean, I didn't even realize, um, I don't remember. It's not like I saw a lot of trailers for this. I think I maybe only saw like uh, one uh, teaser and maybe one actual trailer, but like, I didn't even realize Alicia Vikander was in this. I didn't realize Joel Edgerton was in this. Like I pretty much just knew uh, David Lowry and Dave Patel. And I was like, okay. And and then the A24 thing. So I was like, all right, yeah, like I'm totally into uh, to go check this out and, and to see it, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. I didn't know that Alicia Vikander or Joel Edgerton were in this movie or uh, even the actress that plays 
uh, Dev Patel's mother, Morgan Le Fay, um, Sarita Chudhari, Chudhuri, uh, which I had seen, I've seen her in lots of things, uh, recently. Um, and then the green Knight was played by Ralph Ennison, which mm-hmm. we, we see him like, you'll be like, Oh yeah, I know. I, I know who that guy is. And then Barry Keegan, who was just in, um, 1917, I believe. Is that right? Oh or yeah. Was it Dunkirk? I think so. No, he was in Dunkirk. Um, might've been done. Yeah. I'd say might've been done. One of those. Yeah. Yeah. So I, yeah. Um, this movie, <laughs> like I said, I don't really know if I like it or don't like it. It was just very strange. And, and maybe I'm not the smartest person. I like to think that I'm, I have some intelligence, but like, I feel like there is more than what I was being shown that I was supposed to get, if that makes any sense. Yeah, it does. I I, I understand what you're saying. What? Um, okay, so let's see if we could break this down a little bit. So, okay, so you're not sure whether you liked it or didn't like it. So you're somewhere in, in between then, right? Right. Like, I like the idea, uh, to me... And I, I know that I'm probably not getting the right right answer from it, but the, what I'm getting from it is that having to accept your mortality. Maybe that was the too surface uh, theme from this. Um, I've been told that it's more about accepting honor or receiving honor or being honorable. Um, obviously, the I guess the poem is more is all about chivalrous chivalry and and the knight's code and stuff like that but to me it seemed like it was all about uh accepting your mortality and i feel like there was so much more in there that doesn't play into that narrative well and 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 this is where like Okay, so first off, you're you're totally not wrong, um, and I don't think that has anything to like. I don't think you need to, you know, question your intelligence, and I don't think anyone that watches this should be doing that because, quite frankly, um, you know, there is no subjective truth to anything artistic. Um, there's an attempt at that, I would say, but but again, that's all you can have as any sort of creative is is an attempt at communication of of themes and tones and ideas and all that sort of stuff, right? Um, and again, this is this is why I say uh, even I, I think this is true even of ghost story. Um, and, and again, it's what makes me sad. I don't think most people are are probably going to enjoy this movie is because, like you you stated, this it's based off of a poem, and it it does oddly feel uh, it feels like that. It, it feels like um, this kind of weird, obscure poem uh, that no matter how many times you read it or different people read it, you're all going to kind of walk away with different meaning and intention, regardless of what the writer's ideas were. Um, and I, and I would say, I agree with you. Like, I'm not even like, I liked elements of it, but there was other things in the movie that, um, we'll get into it, I guess, but there's other things that happen that, uh, it just kind of jarred me out of the story. And 
So I, I definitely don't think you're you're wrong. I, I think there was this maybe creative idea to um, try to kind of have it be very dreamlike and and uh, very poetic. Uh, you know, obviously being based off of a poem, I think it's trying to somehow replicate that that kind of weird cadence that po- uh, poems have. And I think all of those things are going to help this film for some people. And I think they're going to make it unwatchable for others or, or almost unwatchable. Okay. Um, I, I know that like you would definitely t- say that my biggest issue with the movie, and it probably is my biggest issue is, is the pacing. It is a very slow paced movie. Like there are scenes that are, you know, good amount of time of him just walking along or riding along on the horse. Yeah. And, and, and I would even say the pacing is very slow. Uh, definitely. And I, and I think that it also is going to be an issue for people, but I, I'm not even so sure in this instance that just the pacing is is your is your well the Ooh. speed of the pacing of it being slow is just your thing. I think some of it is also, and this is at least for me too. Um, it feels very like fragmentedly disjointed. Um, like it doesn't feel like it's a cohesive story of Sir Gowan. It it almost kind of feels as if we were watching this from everyone else at King Arthur's table, like each saying, you know, maybe five or 20 sentences about Sir Gowan's journeys, right? Like it doesn't really feel like it's just this progressive story about him from beginning to end. Like there's all these weird segmented moments that like, and each time you get into one of those moments, um, you kind of start really getting pulled into what's happening there and then, boom, we're in another, you know, another, like, side quest of Sir Gowan. And it's like, wait, what is happening? Like, why are we doing this? Like, it's almost like it never gives you quite enough time to really get immersed into each of these, uh, you know, uh, pivotal moments in his journey, if you will. Do you know what I mean? No, yeah. No, I, I get exactly what you mean. Because, like... As soon as I'm starting to, I guess, interpret, for lack of a better word, the what I'm watching, it definitely switches. Like we're, we're, we're. Let's let's just jump right to the journey. Like we just figured out that you know he is, he what he has to do. He has to go on this journey. I mean, that's after we see that his mother is the one who who summoned the green knight like i'm guessing that's what happened in that scene and Mm -hmm. then we he's on the journey and we're seeing all these people cutting down these trees and then the scavenger shows up and it's uh you know it's a uh a battlefield where a bunch of people have died and he leads them in the wrong direction but then he ends up be it's i mean it's kind of the right direction but then he takes his horse but then he gets his horse back at the end of the movie uh, and then, you know, and then he, he, uh, he takes his ax, but then he gets his ax back at the next scene next. Yeah. At the house where the, 
uh, headless girl lives. It, it's, so it's like as things keep progressing, you ha- the story doesn't. I mean, as slow as it is, it doesn't let you. I don't know. Maybe it's just me, and it, it doesn't let me um, interpret what it is that I'm seeing. I guess. No, yeah, but but that's yeah, I I agree with you. I, I I think that's kind of the biggest issue that I had with this too was uh, you get these moments. Um, I mean, first off, the whole thing feels obviously like a, a fever dream, and you know maybe it is right. Um, it it is it kind of hard very to much say. Could be, yeah. Yeah, it, it really is kind of hard to say what's actually happening and not happening in this movie. Um, obviously, it's all meant to kind of be this this formative magic thing to really allow him to come into his own and, and to change and, you know, to grow and do all this sort of stuff. But, um, yeah, I would, I would say I have to agree with you, though. It, it's just – it feels very – because, again, I think if the movie was just slow – but it was done in a way that you could really allow yourself to get entangled into each of these plot moments. Um, I don't think you would have had as much issue with it. And at least I wouldn't have, um, because I, I typically don't have issues with slow movies. Um, but to me that jars you out of it. And, and it really does seemingly for no reason, you know, it's like, I feel like there is a way that the story could have been told uh, a little less fragmented and, and I think that would have done a lot more to, like you said, kind of give yourself that time to really let it soak into you and really kind of ponder those things without being jarred out of the, of the story. So why do you think his mother summons the green Knight? Well, to me, the, the, the whole thing behind it really, you know, seems like uh, King Arthur knows that he's dying. Um, he has no, heirs uh, at this point i don't know if he had kids and they died or whatever happened but seemingly he has no one that's going to um kind of be able to take his place and wear the crown um it also seems weirdly as if you know sir gowan is is spoiled and lazy and selfish and uh kind of has mis- misplaced faiths in what you know honor and being a knight is and and you know how to take care of other people and treat other people and things like that. And so I really felt like to me, like this was a, um, idea between Arthur and, and his mother to create this scenario to test him. You know what I mean? Um, okay. You know, because the King does seem to be heavily involved in this, you know, when, when the green Knight shows up, I mean, he had just called him up to sit next to him, you know, he explains, Hey, um, I've never, really seen you have never really paid attention to you even though excuse me even though you're like my nephew and uh, you know i should have had you sit at my court a long time ago and and even just something about the way the green knight rolls in and and the way that you know the king is perceiving it and um he makes a comment to him about it you know where he's like remember it's it's just a game like do you understand the rules of the game and what the knight is asking you um, and of course, Sir Gowan says, well, yes, I, I, I get it. But clearly he, he does not. <laughs> um, so I don't know. That's kind of what I took from it is that this was, yeah. and there's also a line in there too, where he, you know, the, the king and the queen are like, tell us, you know, tell us the story of, of Sir Gowan. And he's like, well, I, I, 
I don't have any stories. And and then the queen says, I haven't gone on any adventures. I haven't done anything. Yeah. And then all of a sudden this happens. So just a little too coincidental for them to like, obviously not be in the loop on these, uh, on this and and on this happening. So to me, it just felt like it was a, a a test and a wake up call, you know, to get him to launch into uh, the knighthood uh, that he needed to, to become, you know? It's it's essentially it's every parent kicking their kid out of the house. <laughs> yeah, you need yeah. to make something of yourself now. <laughs> right, right. Um, get a so, job or get out. Yeah, I yeah. W- we're at the scene when Gowan, you know, takes up Excalibur and he's about to fight the Green Knight in this quote unquote game. Like he's he literally puts the axe down and kneels before him, and I mean if you listen to the rules that the green knight said, why go for the decapitation below? Why not just be like tap? Here you go. All right. I win. I'll see you in a year. Like obviously he needs the fear for the story to progress. He needs the fear to be there for when he gets to the green knight. But like who in their right mind, hears the rules and says, yeah, I'm going to cut your head off so that when I, you see me in a year, you get to cut my head off. Well, right, but I, but I think that's you know what I, what I what I, I think that's what I'm trying to say is you know he he's saying yes he acknowledges the, the rules but he he obviously wasn't paying any of attention he was probably is um, probably number one afraid um, two he was probably just very uh, arrogant uh, of being like oh well I'm gonna show how you know, how knightly I can be and how much honor I deserve and, and, and how amazing of a, of a warrior I am that I, I, in one clean strike, decapitated the Green Knight and drove him away from the King's Court. You know what I mean? I think it's just more, because you're absolutely right. I mean, that's the first thing I heard. I was like, oh, okay, it's a game. Whatever blow you do to him, he's going to do to him. So, I mean, like, I would have flattened the blade and just, like, tapped him in the shin or something, you know? Like, I'm like, ha-ha, I have defeated you. Uh, be gone, you know? But it's that that blissful ignorance of needing to prove yourself that has i think is what is driving him to be so overtly ignorantly stupid to do that um and not realize wait a minute i just cut his head off and he told me he's gonna cut my head off in a year you know (laughs) yeah uh this is essentially the the hubris of youth right yeah i think so and and just his i'm guessing you know with his status that his life has probably been heavily sheltered as well so i mean sometimes you know that you just don't have the street smarts that uh, someone else might have if you've kind of been fed with a silver spoon so to speak you know and then uh it doesn't help that you know they have puppet shows that show his triumph over the green knight that all the kids watch and the old people watch. And then people are telling the story over and over. And there's the guy who, uh, in the bar, right. That, that, uh, was like, Oh, we're, we're having drinks with the, the, the guy who fought the green knight kind of thing. Like he's, he's getting, he's reaping all those rewards when he really shouldn't, there's nothing to reap. Uh, what about the scavenger? What what did you think of that scene? Like, especially the part where, you know, they have him tied up and the camera spins around and you see that he's a skeleton and then spins around back and he's he's there again. Is it, I thought this movie had a lot to do with, like, 
time, I guess. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I, I didn't know if there was supposed to be a time travel element or something, but like definitely like a, I'm seeing my actions or I'm, I'm getting to follow the, the thread of my actions and then have to rethink it back and be like, okay, this is what I need to do now, or this is what I should do instead. Yeah. I mean, I, I would agree. I think it's, it's just kind of, you know, sometimes you, you end up in situations like that and then all of a sudden, you know, that kind of instinct or, um, you know, whatever you want to call it, your internal voice or whatever kicks in and is like, Hey, you know, if you don't do this, this is going to happen or, or, you know, this could happen. And I think it does showcase those things. And it does quite a bit actually, um, throughout this, but it, again, it's done in such a way that I think you're, you know, you're, I don't want to say average because I don't think that's fair either, but I, I would say I feel like the majority of, of moviegoers just aren't really accustomed to seeing movies that deal with the, like with knights and, and honor and heroism in quite this way. Um, but again, this is, you know, visually that moment is, is incredibly shot, like as is the entire movie. Um, and it does, I think it does a great job of, you know, showing in that moment, like, Hey, if he just gives up here, he's going to die. Or, um, you know, he made a really stupid mistake by, again, you know, some of it had to do with how he treated that, that kid. But I mean, then again, I mean, he could have given that kid more money and the kid might still have done that. So, you know, it does kind of make you have to run that scenario through your head a bunch of times. And and I think that's kind of what they're visually trying to showcase there is that he's realizing that, you know, he's ultimately made a, a very huge mistake that could lead to um, his death. But again, there is a lot of kind of this perception of time travel, which it could actually be, um, you know, or it, it could be very much just um, internalized inside of his head of, of him witnessing his own possible futures based off of his actions. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I definitely get that feeling. And then, and, and that would kind of go along with the idea of what they're trying to show, right. Of like, Hey, you need to, really think out your actions before uh committing to things yeah and and you know again that's not obviously just a lesson for for gowan i mean it's a lesson for kind of all of us as as people you know is just kind of taking those moments to try to have the you know foresight of of what the consequences to the things that we do might be and how that might impact us you know Uh, then after that, you get to the the house on the the lake, the pond, um, where he meets a specter, uh, a female uh, that essentially says, "Hey, I need you to jump into the, the water and retrieve my head." Uh, it tells a whole story about a lord that slept in or came to the house looking for uh, shelter, and then when she refused to sleep with him, he killed her and threw her head into the into the into the pond um i i don't really know what to make of this but i did love the the reactions that dev patel did in the scene when like especially when she floats to him and she he's like wait what the like kind of thing <laughs> and he asked like are, are you a ghost or something like that and she's like no what just 
help me out like kind of thing i thought that was just it was a good little scene but what were your were your thoughts on that scene no yeah i mean again this is one of those things where it kind of ends up feeling a a little bit like a random npc driven side quest um (laughs) obviously you know he he kind of does it right but um you know he's got that line in there like what will you give me if i retrieve your head and then she's like why would you ask me that you know and um, I don't know. I mean, that would have been my first question in any video game I ever played too. I'd be like, well, I'm not going to just walk over there and grab your head out of this bog, uh, swamp lady. Uh, I'm going to need some coin or something. You know what I mean? But, um, but ultimately he does it. And, uh, you know, again, it's just one of those many tests that kind of, um, are fragmented along his way. Um, she does make a the, the one thing that I and again I, I don't know it's been a little while since I've seen this because we still weren't able to record r- right away but um, there, there's still some kind of weird thing to that though where um, she's talking to him about basically someone who who came and and assaulted her and then um, cut her head off but then she's asking him if it's him like she's almost implying that it was actually him that did this. Um, so like, I don't know. I thought that was kind of interesting uh, from that perspective, but, and again, the, the visuals of this are incredible. The way that it's shot, um, the lighting gags uh, that occur in the scene, you know, with how it's kind of like super bright, I think it was like maybe red and then it turns to white or something like that. There's like some color shifts and some intensity shifts on the lighting. Um, the whole underwater sequence part of that is, is very, very uncomforting. I, I mean, most people I know don't really like water in general, yet alone uh, swampy bog in the middle of the night where you're absolutely not going to be able to see what disgusting creatures and things might be down there to uh, poison or eat you or, you know, any of that stuff. So it's a very uncomfortable <laughs> moment. But yeah, again, very strange, um, but enjoyable, but strange. Okay. Um, I think the next is that we come up on the, the, the Lord and the lady, right? In the house Mm -hmm. or no, it's the Fox next. The Fox that follows him into the, into the cave, Oh, right, right. which I thought very much was supposed to be the lady that he achieved the head of, but that doesn't quite Mm. change out unless like all the people he meets on, on the road are essentially the green knight just in different forms, which apparently in the, in the poem, the Lord and the green light are m- more hinted at as being the, the same person. Um, but in this, they don't really uh, give you that hint at all. So, uh, yeah. Yeah. That's no, yeah. I mean, I guess that's interesting. I, I never, I don't know. I never quite thought of the specter, being the 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 fox i almost felt like the fox was like uh his mom trying to kind of come to him and guide him a little bit but um but even that 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 feels like there's a situation of of where there was more to that that then got removed from the edit perhaps or something like i don't know that whole thing between the fox just it it 
it happens kind of, I guess, briefly and, and abruptly versus kind of everything else that goes on in, in the film. And so to me, I just, I don't know, I was kind of like, after I saw that, I was like questioning was like, was there more to this that just didn't make it into the cut? Um, or was that really it? Like, I'm not quite sure, but it, to me, felt like there should have been more of that, or there is more of that, that we just didn't get to see. Uh, yeah. And then the, like it, the trying to stop him from getting into the boat kind of thing. That was, that was interesting. Uh, but then we get to the house and Joel Edgerton is there. And then Alicia Vikander, who's playing the second role, because we saw her earlier as the, I want to say prostitute, because it seemed like a, a brothel that she was in. But obviously someone that Gowan enjoyed being with now is a lady of this house. Not supposed to be the same character, but definitely played by the same actress. Uh, he is ahead of, according to Joel Edgerton's character, he's ahead of his schedule and he's, got a few days before Christmas and he stays in the house. And I think things definitely get a lot more weird in this house. There's a, a lady, old lady that's follow that falls around on Alicia Vikander's character. That's blindfolded the whole time. Uh, the, was it, they, are, they take him in to make sure that he's, he's healthy. Um, Joel Edgerton's character, the Lord, you know, uh, says I'll go out and I'll hunt and I'll bring stuff back so that, you know, you don't have to do anything, but sit here and rest. I know all about you. I know about your journey to the, the green Knight. You have a few days. Uh, Alicia Vikander shows him books and shows him uh, a way, essentially what looked like photography, I guess. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, it is. Yeah, it was uh, a camera obscura. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, and then, uh, and then there's a weird, like, hand job scene and he gets back the girdle that he had lost earlier when the scavenger stole it from him which was his something that his mother gave him that said like if you wear this you can't be struck kind of thing so all it of was, that it was yeah basically it, it, any blow that you received wouldn't wouldn't kill you as long as you were wearing that so like if even if he got his head cut off he wouldn't die like his head would still be there in, until he removed the the wasn't quite a sash. I guess it's the kind of more of like a belt. Is that what you, you think is a girdle? Yeah, it's just a. That's piece what of, they, it, it's it's being referred to in, in other oh, things really? as as a girdle. Oh okay. Yeah. Man, well, I mean, I guess maybe back then um, maybe that is what they called it. Called it. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and then and then yeah. Uh, he, he, as he's leaving the the house to go on the rest of his journey, Joel Edgerton stops him and because he said, you know, whatever you get in the house, you have to give to me too, which is very similar to the whole whatever blow you hit on me, you know, I, I get mm-hmm. to do to you from the Green Knight. So that, there's your maybe your little bit of vague connection between the two. Uh, and then Joel Edgerton kisses him, like the Lord kisses him, and I was like. Oh, all right. I mean, he got the kiss, the kiss from the lady before they made that deal, but okay. Uh, and then he's, he gets on the boat and he heads towards the green chapel and he gets to the green chapel and he sits there for a day waiting for the green knight to wake up. And when the green knight wakes up, he's like, okay, I'm here. I'm going to, I'm going to deal my blow. And he stops him like three times before doing it. 
And he's like, wait, isn't there more? Isn't there going to be more to this story? Like, I don't understand. And then eventually when the, he, he's about to come down with the ax, he's like, nope, I got to go. And he runs away. Uh, and then we see the rest of his life play out where he gets handed the sword because he tells everybody that he took care of the Green Knight or he went on his journey and all that stuff. He's handed the Excalibur. He becomes the new king of... I don't even know... What is it? The king of England? Is it the king of Britain? What is the... Uh, yeah, I don't, I don't know. King Arthur is supposed question. to be the king of... <laughs> uh, all the Brits? He, he plays out his... Yeah, yeah, all the Britons. Uh, he plays out the rest of his life to the point where, you know, he's not that good of a king. Like, they, they, they're being overtaken. And eventually he pulls the girdle off and his head falls off because I guess the Green Knight did strike him at that one point. And now he's dead. Uh, yeah. And I mean, I, I guess to go back a little bit, um, obviously the, 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 the house sequence, um, you know, the woman with the blindfold is, is also very indicative of, of his mother because there's many scenes where she's wearing the blindfold and, and summoning the green knight. And um, I think it's just kind of this, this again, kind of, mental challenge uh for him to to be placed between you know the things and ideologies of you know his mother and becoming king and um, this woman that he loves that he's not really i guess supposed to love because of his status um but even then he like kind of loves her but like not really because you know there's a part where he's going to leave and she's asking him about making her um his lady and all this sort of stuff. And he, he never says anything back. So, you know, it's kind of interesting, I guess, from that standpoint. And, and she has that whole speech. Um, that's just, you know, it's, it's a wonderful speech, but she's talking about how eventually everything, um, turns back to green or that everything goes back to nature, no matter, you know, how long, uh, things might go on. Eventually everything goes back to nature. So it kind of ends up becoming this whole weird amalgamation of like, um, your ignorance of your actions leading you towards your desire for these legacies and memories that you haven't even fabricated or you haven't even forged yet. You've just fabricated them in your mind, I guess. Um, mm-hmm. And then, yeah, that, I guess that kind of goes into the, the end sequence there too, where, you know, you do have the green Knight and he, you know, gets ready to cut his head off and it flash forwards to all of that sort of stuff. And you, you kind of see all of those, you know, ideas that he had all this imaginatory uh, desires of what the honor was going to be like for him and uh, how he was going to rule and be such a great, um, you know, king. That's kind of the same way that he is towards the beginning, right? Like he's like, well, I'm going to be this amazing knight. You know, I'm going to change my life. I'm going to have honor and I'm going to do all that by uh, cutting someone's head off in a game uh, which any other person would have been like, yeah, that's that's a horrible idea. Um, so it does kind of, <laughs> I guess, bring all of that back to kind of like a full circle without giving us this kind of progression of his character. But by him allowing his mind to fabricate these preconceived expectations of what would happen if he ran away and went back and became king, it does kind of very, I guess, quickly uh in a slow way which is ironic to say um it does kind of allow him to reflect on a possible future 
um, and allow him to not make that come to fruition. Um, and we do get a little bit of that character change, which is, you know, why the green Knight then decides to not cut his head off because he does remove, uh, the girdle and, and finally comes to the acceptance of, like you said, the mortality. Um, he kind of gives up the willful laziness and ignorance of being young and embracing this kind of, you know, mindset of, of wisdom through age and, and, you know, saying, okay, well, I, I can't keep running. I just have to give in to these things that are going to happen. And I have to let go of these, uh, false preconceived expectations I have of what I'm supposed to be and become what I know I need to be, you know? Yeah. So yeah. And then as, as you said, the green Knight just does a flick of his finger across, uh, Gowan's neck and says, you know, there we're even now go. Mm-hmm. And that's when he takes off and he, he meets up with the horse and that's where it ends. Right. Uh, yeah, I think so. Uh, I think that's, I don't, you don't see him go further, right? You don't see him go back to, to the kingdom. I don't think so. Yeah. I, I don't think you do. I'm pretty sure you're right. Again, like I said, it's been a little while since we watched this. Um, so I don't remember exactly, but I think you're correct. I think that is where it, it ends. So, uh, you know, we, we talked about the story and we talked about the, uh, the directing, like, what did you think of the, the cinematography? I mean, again, uh, in terms of the cinematography, uh, it's, it's very, very beautifully crafted. I mean, they did such a great job of, of really, um, I don't know. It's very strange. I mean, this film feels so much more atmospheric than, um, than story, you know, um, which, again, I think for some people is going to be a bad thing. You know what I mean? Like some people will say that it's all style over substance. Um, but I think rather it's more of an attempt to enhance the substance with the style of, of the atmosphere, because it really does feel like a very unique world. And, and even though it's sort of set in medieval times, it has this weird vibe to it that it could be happening at any time period, which is oddly strange because you're like, well, there's knights and horses and stuff, but it also doesn't feel 100% historic. Um, and I mean, my <laughs> gosh, there's, there's so many just incredible moments with the, uh, the lighting. Uh, there's so many different types of like lighting gags and things like that, that happen and the color palettes they chose. And, you know, the saturations of green are, are just, you know, as the green knight kind of comes into it. And as we kind of progress through the the story, it just becomes so overwhelmingly green and so saturated with it that you, as a viewer, just really feel like you're also being overtaken by nature. And, um, yeah, I, I don't know. I was totally blown away by it visually. Um, and, and I mean, not just the cinematography, but I mean, the production designs, uh, absolutely wonderful. Um, you know, uh, the wardrobe is fantastic. Uh, the, the visual effects that are in this are, are aw- amazing. I think they were done by the Weta workshop or something like that, but they're absolutely f- like everything in this movie is, is top notch. It's just, it's just not going to be, uh, large commercially scaled commercial movie, yeah. embraced. Yeah. A large commercially embraced film. Yeah. 
The cinematographer was uh, Andrew Draws Pal- Pal- Palermo. Um, he, he was a cinematographer on Ghost a Ghost Story and one of the segments on VHS and The Long Dumb Road. I don't know if you ever got a chance to watch that, but that's Jason Manzukis and oh, I know the the young young man's name and I can't think of it off the top of my head. Tony Ravioli. Uh, you might remember. You might know him from the new spider-man movies but yeah that's uh it it definitely has a a very good unique look and i and i am one to always point out the whole uh style over substance and i really didn't feel that in this movie i really felt like everything that was being done for the look of the movie was in uh congruence or to supplement the movie itself so I was okay with it. Yeah. And I would totally agree, but I, I do think there will be, like you said, I, I think it's just, just something in how the movie flows that I think is going to kind of put a lot of people off to that interpretation uh, that it's more, you know, of the style over the substance. Yes, I, I agree. Uh, all right, Richard. There you go. First movie back. Uh, we picked it. We picked one. We definitely picked the movie. Uh, <laughs> if you have any thoughts on this movie and you like to talk to me, you can find me on Twitter. I am at Mitchipedia. G E M G E M stands for Geek Elite Media. Uh, Richard, where can people find you online? Uh, yeah, you can actually head over to rycohen.com R I C O W N.com. Uh, the rest of Geekly Media is at Geekly Media on Twitter, at, at Geekly Media on Instagram, and Facebook.com forward slash Geekly Media is our Facebook page. Check out archive episodes of this podcast and other podcasts on our website, geeklymedia.com. Uh, whatever podcatcher you use to listen to us, please rate and review us. It helps spread the word of our network. But until next time, this is the Mitch and Rich Show on the Geekly Media Network saying, always remember to geek out. Yeah. This concludes our broadcast. Peace.